Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. They are Christmas trees. They are not Hanukkah trees. They are not Ramadan trees. They are not Kwanzaa trees. And they are certainly not holiday trees or winter festival trees as the politically correct, don't offend anyone crowd tries to turn them into. No, they are Christmas trees. Trees for Christ's Mass. They're a vital and green symbol of life and hope in the brown, seemingly lifeless landscape of winter. Brightly lit and joyously decorated, they bring excitement and warmth to whatever setting in which we find them. And beneath them each year we pile treasures and trinkets, hoping to leave or to find some measure of temporary happiness from the fruits of worldly labor. It's often a family ritual to decorate that tree each year in just that certain way. But after a few weeks, your cattle or, or your toddler perhaps has batted a few of those ornaments into shattered fragments on the floor. In holiday fatigue, you no longer even bother to plug it in every night. And at that point, the tree has served its purpose. It's time for it to go. So out it goes into the trash at the curb or perhaps into the fireplace and up the chimney in smoke, possibly into a box and back into the attic or into the garage until another year. As beautiful as that Christmas tree might have been, it isn't something that lasts forever. If it's a real tree, it'll dry up. It'll turn brown. It'll leave all of those pesky needles trapped in your carpeting for months on end. If it's artificial, it'll eventually bend and then break and perhaps even rust. It's a flawed thing, not a perfect thing. And no matter how much effort you put into maintaining it, sooner or later you'll realize it isn't eternal. It is a common, it is an ordinary, it is a perishable thing. <coughs> Trees are quite a common thing throughout the scriptures as well. They're mentioned quite frequently, right from the very beginning in the Genesis creation story, right on through St. John's revelation of the wonderful heavenly vision at the end of the Bible. Trees and wood, branches and roots, buds and leaves, fruits and seeds, they are all there. They're throughout the Scriptures. God has made His Word into a, into a wonderful forest, a lush landscape of trees that both literally and symbolically help us to understand what it is He would have us know about Him and about His plans for us. Now some of these real and symbolic trees we know quite well from Scripture stories. Others are a bit more obscure to us, but they are still important and helpful in, in conveying His Word to us. From the very beginning, as we know, trees are a very important part of God's creation and of His intended dwelling place for the first creatures of mankind. They are so important that He gave our human parents a, a beautiful grove, a, a paradise, a wooded grove in which He placed that first man and that first woman, the crown of His creation. That garden was perfect for them. It was all that they would need to live in comfort and to live in close fellowship with their Creator. And in the very middle of this paradise, He put two even more important trees. The tree of life 
and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he gave our ancestors very simple but very critical instructions about those trees. Yet because the devil constantly looks for opportunities and for ways to disrupt God's plan, and because we as men and women, girls and boys, are constantly looking for ways to make ourselves more important, to make ourselves more godlike even, a tragic meeting took place near those trees. A meeting that brought sin. A meeting that caused pain. A meeting that initiated death. The sin at the one tree required banishment from the other tree. Alienation from God meant separation from the tree of life. Eviction from paradise. A life of ongoing struggle and frequent torment for Adam, for Eve, and for all of their offspring yet to come. Now that tree and that garden were later washed away in the flood of the, the torment, of the flood of the torrent, and we know that Noah and his family, only eight souls were saved from that torrent, lifted up in a vessel constructed from the wood of trees. He saved them from a watery grave. Generations later, by a grove of oak trees, the Lord promised Abraham that his family tree would continue on. It would be preserved by the birth of a son. Upon an altar of wood, that promised son Isaac was saved from death because God provided a substitute sacrifice, a ram that was caught in its horns by a shrub. Branch after branch of that family tree would sprout. It would grow and blossom and then die without yielding much in the way of a good crop for the gardener, God the Creator. Fires, droughts, and pestilences of sin attacked this family tree, which withered its leaves and chopped away and dried out its roots. Yet through it all, God still preserved it. He nourished and He pruned and He watered that tree with just what it needed to continue to live. And in the proper season, from the stump of Jesse, the father of David, a shoot came forth. A new tree of life, a branch that would bear much fruit, began to grow. The seed of a woman, spoken into germination by the Word of God, sprouted in the fertile soil of a virgin's womb. That seed which was at enmity with all things evil, it grew. It grew so that God might fulfill the promise that He had made back in the garden when the old tree of life was taken away because in our human weaknesses we could not properly tend it. And when that shoot, that branch, that new tree of life could no longer be contained in that seedbed, God incarnate burst forth as the fruit of the virgin's womb. The carpenter's wife became the Savior's mother and she laid Him in a vessel fashioned from the wood of yet other trees. And there He lay, the bread of life in a bed of animal feed. You know well the angel part of this story, and you know well the shepherd part of this story. We have already sung of these things, and we will sing more of them again shortly. And it is meet, right, and salutary that we should sing thusly. For this announcement and the spreading of the good news about the birth of our Savior is an essential part of every Christmas. Now you may think that I've carried the tree theme far enough and its imagery is too much for you. Maybe I've reached the point where you think I'm belaboring it. And I have to admit 
every analogy does have its limits. But you know that there's a bit more ground to cover yet. There are a few more tree references necessary to round out this story. A couple of scripture verses about trees didn't make it into our reading this Christmas Eve. First from Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Likewise from 1 Peter chapter 2. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. This shoot from the stump of Jesse, this fruit-bearing branch which became the new tree of life, He took the curse of your sin to that tree of death, the cross. And as marvelous and as mysterious and as wonderful as it is to celebrate this night the birth of God incarnate, that baby born in Bethlehem, how marvelous and mysterious and wonderful it also is as we remember that the same God, this same child born in Bethlehem, became the cursed one of Calvary. He is the one who died for us and died for all mankind upon that tree. And in His death, we are made new. It is in our drowning of the old Adam at the font that we are made God's children, baptized into Christ and thus baptized into His death. Those who ate from the wrong tree in the garden are redeemed by Him who died on the right tree on the hilltop. One of the liturgies for Holy Communion for the season of Lent reads in part, and I paraphrase, On the tree of the cross you gave salvation to mankind that from where death arose, from there life might also rise again, that he who by a tree once overcame, likewise by a tree might be overcome. We often complain that God does not fix what we want when we want, but He does fix what is truly important, and He does it forever. Now you might find it interesting that there's an old but unsubstantiated tradition in the Christian church that Jesus was crucified on the very spot where the original tree of life stood in the garden. Now that's an intriguing thought, and of course we have no way of knowing that for sure until we get to heaven. But regardless of the exact locations of those two trees, we do know something with absolute certainty. Something very important that connects them together. Satan once overcame mankind by tempting our first parents into sin and to their eventual deaths by the, knowledge, by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the evil tempter has himself now been overcome by the death of the second Adam, Jesus Christ our Lord, just as God promised to the first Adam and to his mate in the garden that fateful day. Their offspring, our Savior, took the curse upon himself, the curse of, his, of all their sins and of your sins and mine, upon that bloody tree outside of Jerusalem. And that instrument of death became a tree of salvation. There the evil serpent's head was crushed for all time. As you partake of all of the blessings of our Lord's birth then this Christmas time, by all means enjoy the lush green beauty of your pines and your firs and your spruces, whether they be real or whether they be artificial. But when the needles have fallen, when the tinsel and the lights and the ornaments and the stars and the angels have all been packed away, when all of your furniture is back into its normal place again, gaze with awe 
and with wonder and with thanks upon that Christmas tree which endures forever, the tree on Calvary. Upon those rough-hewn beams hung an infinitely more valuable, precious treasure than anything you found under your tree this year or any other year. The very life of the eternal Son of God laid down for you. It's not a pretty sight, but it's a lasting gift. A gift given in love beyond all comprehension. Glory in excelsis Deo, and on earth peace, goodwill to you, whom God has reconciled to himself in the babe of Bethlehem. In his holy name, amen. Amen.